Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to today's episode of Myeloma Crowd Radio. Today's show is unique in that we have three guests covering an up-and-coming topic, nanotechnology. For those of you like me who are new to nanotechnology, it's best described as the ability to study very small things or to see and control individual atoms and molecules. I'm here in St. Louis at the Washington University Center for Multiple Myeloma Nanotherapy, a new center that will apply nanotechnology to bone cancers and multiple myeloma specifically. They are one of a very select group of researchers who have been awarded a coveted NIH grant to explore the use of nanotechnology in cancer. They were selected because they have enormous institutional resources and support, diverse expertise in myeloma, participation of patient advocates and industry partners, both basic and clinical investigators, and most importantly, nanotechnology expertise. Their goal is to improve myeloma treatment outcomes using these very small atoms and molecules to deliver myeloma drugs with better impact and minimal off-target toxicity, as well as other things that you'll hear about later. With me today are three specialists, Dr. Samuel Achilefu, a pioneer in the development of molecular imaging probes and nanomaterials for imaging and the treatment of cancer. He currently leads the translation of in innovative imaging technologies and molecular probes from the bench to the bedside. We also have Dr. Ravi Vidge, a myeloma expert who is Associate Professor of Medicine at the Washington School of Medicine in the bone marrow transplant section. He leads many clinical trials and has established a large myeloma tissue bank at Washington University with a strong focus on studying the genomics of the disease which are critical to understanding what causes myeloma and how to cure myeloma. We also have with us Dr. Monica Shokin, an expert in imaging technology like MRIs and PET-CT scans, and the development of small macromolecular agents that will improve the accuracy of these imaging tests. Her goal is to find myeloma cells using imaging technology no matter where they reside in the body, no matter how young or old the cells are, and no matter how much they like to hide in the bone marrow niche. I welcome you all. Dr. Achilefu, let's start by you helping us understand how a technology that has been used in chemistry, physics, and engineering is now coming to cancer, and how you're doing that with your projects at Washington University. So this is one of six centers funded by the NCI to introduce nanotechnology into cancer research. And the purpose is to bring a multidisciplinary team of investigators um, that can bring their expertise to solving a common problem. And of all the six centers, in fact, this is the first NCI-funded nanotechnology-based center to look at multiple myeloma. And so in a nutshell, what we are trying to do is to ask 
key questions that are answered today and take advantage of the power of nanomedicine to apply it into cancer research. Um, so we have projects, three projects that are looking at ways of addressing critical issues in multiple myeloma therapy. The first one is looking at a, a protein, oncogene, that's highly upregulated in multiple myeloma cells. And the problem before now is that people do not know how to deliver inhibitors to where they should work inside cancer cells. So our team members, led by Greg Lanza, discovered a very nice way that nanoparticles will go everywhere using VLA4 discovered and, and championed by one of our team members here, Monica Shokin, that can latch onto these cancer cells. And then once it's there, it, it fuses with the membrane in a way that then it empties the content into directly into the cells. That way they are not degraded, they go to the target, they only treat the cancer cells and make sure they die. So you are using nanotechnology to specifically deliver the right treatment to only the cancer cells. What other projects are you working on? The other project is asking a different question. What about those cancer cells that relapse all the time? which is what patients worry about. Can we prevent relapse? Can we treat them independent of the tumor-resistant phenotype that's there, or treatment-resistant phenotypes? So in that way, we are applying a type of therapy previously is used only for skin diseases. But we discovered a way to take light and a small molecule, a drug, but at a dose that's so low that it will have no effect on normal healthy tissue. When they come together, the radiopharmaceutical that's used to know you're in remission or, uh, or if somebody has cancer relapsing radiopharmaceuticals. If you take those two and bring them together in cancer cells, then they destroy those cancer cells, independent on whether it's resistant or not. And so with that method, the nanotechnology allows us to do a special type of treatment that's never been done before. And that's what we're excited about too. The third project is looking at where cancer cells hide in the bone marrow. Okay, we know that they go in there, the bone marrow niche allows them to sequester themselves in a way that you can find them. And then they relapse at a later time. And when you say you are in remission, doesn't mean necessarily there's nothing there. And so the whole goal is to say, can we find a way to mobilize those cancer cells, kick them out into the bloodstream, send nanoparticles that are very efficient in, in killing them to get to them before they go back into hiding place again. And so that project is led by John DiPorcio to help us make sure that indolent cancer cells, the resistance ones hiding in the bone marrows can be kicked out and then treated. So the whole synergistic event we hope to accomplish here is that with the different therapy methods we have, by combining immunotherapy with light-based therapy, with chemotherapy, with the cancer cells have no chance to survive at all. So that's what this is all about, and we are so glad to have leaders like uh, Dr. Veach who 
is now giving us guidance into the clinical arenas, access to patients and interacting with them. So we learn every day how to do this much better. It sounds like those two projects have specific goals. The first is you want to overcome drug resistance, and the second is you want to get rid of leftover myeloma cells that like to hide in the bone marrow by kicking them out into the blood so the myeloma drugs can find them and kill them appropriately. With those goals, maybe you want to back up a little and give us an overview of what nanotechnology is all about. I, for one, am not familiar with it at all, especially in medicine. Nanotechnology, nanoparticles, just think about the strain of your hair. Hey, hair it's like 1,000 times smaller in diameter. So basically you can see it with your naked eyes. But it's a, think about it like association of atoms. And they put them together in a way that they create these nice pockets, surface areas that allows us to add a lot of materials into them. And so nanoparticles are very tiny, tiny things we can see, but that can do so much work, 10 times better, 100 times better than single molecules. So an example is to say, um, if you are looking at increasing new aeroplanes today, they are beginning to make them based on nanomaterials. And the essence of that is that you can pack so many tiny things with different surface areas within a, a small volume of tissues. And for us in medicine, the advantage of the nano is that it's small, but we can construct it in such a way that we introduce multiple things at the same time. We can introduce drugs that can kill cancer. We can introduce imaging agents that can allow us to see where they are going. We can introduce monitoring device that allows us to know what's happening over time. So the nano platform is a new way that people now are looking into as a way of tackling these resistant chemotypes that before now, single molecule will not get there. So a final illustration is thinking of soldiers that march in a straight line and they are walking into to war. Uh, of course, then you see them and take them out in series. But imagine putting all those 1,000 battalion soldiers into a small place, all pointing their guns to the same person. All of a sudden, there's really mass in number to get to their target by shooting from different directions, but getting to the same target. And that's what nanoparticle does for us. It amplifies the effect that you can have and prevent um, escape of cancer cells down the line. So when I think about small molecule medication, I think about Velcade or other myeloma drugs. Is that what you mean? I think I may be confused when you're talking about small molecules. Nanoparticles think about molecules, okay, drugs that you are taking. Each time you take a pill, you have thousands of the same molecule inside the pill, okay? <clears throat> and they formulate it into a tablet and give it to you to take. And in formulating it, what it was being done right now is that they use something like chalk to put them together, and you take that. It dissolves. It does what it wants to do. We are asking a different question altogether. Why don't we take that whole big pill you are taking, reduce it a million times smaller, that you won't even see it. 
Now, we can put one million times more in that tube you are going to take to have efficient delivery into your body. And we then make them to be released over a longer period of time in the body. So the nanomaterials are by taking so many small molecules, put them together in such a way that you package them so well that they stick together but only get released to do the work as you want them to go through slow release. There's another type. Another type is when you take some materials that themselves can become drugs. And when you put them together again, the advantage you have is that when they come in contact with tumor cells, they can now release their therapeutic effect right there. So think of nanoparticles not as a machine that is different to a big device. It's the same type of drug you are taking, except that now they are packaged differently to go to a given area and not randomly anymore, and then have effects selectively where you want them to have that effect. So there will be no need for giving long IV uh, introduction of chemo drugs for minutes, or I don't know how long you spend doing that. But more, you can just give a little bit amount of this, and you still have more than 100 times efficiency than what you would normally have done. So they are still molecules. They are still like small drugs, but now packaged in a way that they only have an effect in the target area. So you're saying that using this technology can make the medications maybe a hundred times more effective and significantly more specific, only hitting the cancerous cells and not the healthy cells. That is completely amazing. Now in immunotherapy, these approaches target certain proteins like CS1 or BCMA or other targets on the surface of the myeloma cells. Does nanotechnology work in the same way? So we have two questions. There are two issues there. One is targeting, the other one is therapy effect. Um, For us to target, we are looking at a new agent altogether, which is really not part of the center right now, but we hope to bring it in that can go to different types of cancer. It doesn't matter what type it is. So we're excited about that. That's coming. What we have now is we are looking at treatments. Uh, You asked the question about light. I talked about light therapy and all the rest. Let me explain that in a simple way. Right now, if you, there's um, a type of therapy that's known as photodynamic therapy, and that involves the use of some drugs that are sensitive to light. And if you apply them to the skin, you allow them to absorb in the area that's injured, then you shine light onto that skin of a given wavelength band of light, and then it generates reactive oxygen species inside there that then allows those cells to die, okay? It's been used in the hospitals um, to treat a lot of surface lesions. The problem with it is that for multiple myeloma, it's not on the surface. It's spread everywhere. Where will you apply that? Where will you shine the light? And so what this project has done is that we found out that 
radiopharmaceuticals like FDG, that a lot of patients take, they undergo that all the time, PET scans, the molecule that helps them see the cancer can actually give out light. And so what if we then make the tumor cells take up this material and give out light so we no longer need to shine the light from outside? The light now will come from inside the cancer cells themselves. So most patients are familiar with the contrast they get, either with a PET-CT scan or sometimes an MRI can be done with contrast. These contrasts take the radioactive glucose and then light up the scan so doctors can see where the myeloma still is in the body and if it's progressing or not. You're saying that these contrast agents can actually shine light on the cancer cells so that the drugs can target them specifically, right? Yeah, but then we take that light when we deliver small drugs that are drugs that naturally will not be toxic, but only when they see that light from cancer cells, then they generate this reactive oxygen that allows you to kill them selectively. So we've taken away that limitation that you need to bring the light to find where the cancer is, shine it and treat it to the point where we are saying, we don't care where the cancer cells are anymore. We will find them. They are going to take up these radiopharmaceuticals. We are going to deliver these nice drugs that are light sensitive and the only place they will come together to become toxic is inside cancer cells. So now the light is coming from within instead of from outside and the drug is having an effect within instead of in the whole vascular system. So that's the light-based therapy we are having. That is completely amazing. How exactly does it work to kill the myeloma cells? The good thing then about it when you think it's not dependent on the type of this multiple myeloma and the rest is that the way it kills cancer cells is there are multiple ways. First of all, it goes through this reactive oxygen that makes them toxic and allows us to then start killing them or stress the cells. In that process, some cells will die, but some that are not dying will express antigens on their surface that then allows immune cells to come in and take care of them down the line. So you have immediate response and downstream response where your immune system will kick in to now remove the remaining part of it. So it's not when we say it's independent of the genotype or the prototype, that's what we mean by that, that we can get to it, we can stimulate it, we can kill it directly, we can disturb the blood vessels that feed into there through this single therapeutic approach. So that's innovative aspect we are looking at right now. There are some myeloma researchers I've spoken with who say there are precursor cells or myeloma stem cells that are the early cells and maybe one reason that myeloma keeps coming back, that they can hide and then develop into plasma cells later, and that they might be different than the more mature plasma cells. So that's one question. Can this technology kill those early cells? So that's actually a very good question because the, the, how do you know the cancer stem cells or the precursor cells that become cancerous down the line if they will actually do that? Do you want to start treating all of them in anticipation they will transform into cancer or not? 
um, what about healthy people, healthy in the sense that they've not, they have not manifested the disease yet, and that may never get the disease down the line because our immune system may be able to walk through that or not. So the goal for us, <clears throat> which is another major area of research we, we hope to get the funding to do that, is that there's a new molecule that we believe is telling us which of those cells will become cancerous and which ones will not. And we've used it in pancreatic cancer model, where we have the precursor cancer cells, and then it's pointing to us, these are the ones that will become cancerous, these are the ones that will not. We will now like to take it to breast cancer, multiple myeloma, and all the rest to ask that question, can we predict which population of cells that, we are, that are suspicious will become cancerous and which ones may not be. And, and the fear is always that of over-treatment. Um, <clears throat> yeah, if you start going after everything that's suspicious, then the patient may die of over-treatment and uh, Dr. Vich will explain that better to you. But those are the things, issues we consider as we move down the line um, to optimize the therapy in such a way that uh, we are getting after those that will relapse down the line. The way we are proposing to do it, and this is far down the line, and Dr. Vich will be helping us with that later on, is the, is the preventive care that we hope to establish through this therapy, where uh, a patient that is in remission can go once a year. It can be an outpatient or in primary care and just have a dose of this treatment that makes sure if there's anything coming up down the line, we can as well just get rid of them before they develop into anything significant down the way. So that way you are not over-treating a patient, anticipating something bad is going to happen, but instead you are preventing something bad from happening by just having an annual visit to the, to the doctor and use that as preventive care. That's the approach we hope to establish at the end of these studies with this center to move forward. So your goal is to prevent relapse using a once a year, quote, maintenance therapy. That would be fabulous. And for the high risk population, one of the suggestions is that, well, if it works the way we hope it's going to work, then those in high risk population can always um, go ahead and do that. The advantage being that both the drug and the radiopharmaceuticals, if we can give them at a sub-lethal dose, sub-therapeutic dose, then the worries that you will have by using current preventive care methods um, uh, may not be an issue anymore. And because this therapy does not induce resistance, by the cells. Yeah, you will not see cancer cell resistance due to phototherapy therapy and the rest. Then repeat treatment is not going to be problematic. You are looking at the new onset of the disease that's coming from somewhere and they will still be able to respond. But the treatment, even if it's in a preventive care mode, is not going to stimulate therapy resistance down the line. So that's our hope. That would be amazing. You mentioned pancreatic and breast cancer. Has this been used already in other solid tumor cancers? Yeah, um, we may be fortunate actually to get one of the biggest awards in breast cancer to look at that uh, using this approach as well. 
um, where we are looking at um, uh, the types of cancer, especially the spread of cancer, metastatic breast cancer. Um, that's an area we are excited about, looking at the indolent cells that do not really respond well to treatment and predicting which patients will, uh, DCIS will now go on to become real malignant tumor, tumors down the line, versus those that will not progress and, and be able to eradicate them that way. So we're excited to look at it because sometimes we see cancer as uh, different types and we address them there, but at times when it comes to treatment, um, that's looking at not the current molecular pathway people are using, we can then expand it. If we are successful in multiple myeloma, Dr. Fitch may now be calling his colleagues in other areas and saying, do you want to try this therapy in your case or not? because we can still deliver them and have similar effect. So this center is going to set the stage, the platform, that we now open the door for us to start looking at different types of uh, malignancies that are around today. But we are starting it, the first one in the country that's looking at multiple myeloma as an entity to uh, disease to take care of. We are so excited that you chose multiple myeloma. How long has this therapy been around? You're the first center to do this in myeloma and the recipient of this NIH grant. How did you get involved with that? Oh, the, the, so officially our center started, um, that was last September. So we are not even up to a year yet. But we've made good progress uh, thanks to everybody here. Um, the way we started was that the NIH required us, they asked, they're looking for uh, centers of excellence in nanotechnology out of, uh, that we apply that knowledge to cancer therapy. And, and so we're looking at, we say, well, we should be one of those centers. Uh, it was highly competitive. They already had nine, ten centers before now, and they are reducing everything to only six. And um, the question became, how do we do it? We looked at different types of cancer and we're looking at solid tumors and blood cancers and everything. We have the technologies that can go through all of them. But the question became, where do we have a niche? If an area we can really focus on and make an impact. Mm -hmm. And fortunately for us, there was Michael Thomason, Monica Shokin, all of who were working on multiple myeloma. And it turns out that Vijay Ravivich has this huge patient population he treats all the time here. So we have the clinical center of excellence for that. We have top-notch researchers that can do multiple myeloma. We have technologies that can be applied to multiple myeloma. And so we asked ourselves, what if we put those three pieces together to create a center that we now be looking at it from a holistic point of view? And that's how we came about that. Dr. Achillefu, thank you so much for joining us today and explaining this program. Your work is completely amazing, and we just hope you keep going. Dr. Vidge, you see myeloma patients all day long. In the context of myeloma, how do you see this being used? So nanotechnology is obviously disease agnostic. It is just a method of drug delivery, 
and it's even wider than that. Nanotechnology, as uh, you've heard uh, from Sam, can be used in uh, wide industrial applications, things like that. So as far as uh, where we stand with it in terms of uh, patient application, we're still probably, uh, you know, at least a couple years off. You have to uh, test this technology in preclinical models first. Then you have to uh, do preclinical work, which is, you know, going to form the basis of an IND that will then be submitted to the FDA, wherein they will permit what are going to be, you know, sort of first-in-human trials. And like any uh, drug, it will go through phase one, phase two, phase three development. So I think that uh, not many people realize, in some ways, one of the drugs that is out there, Doxil, is also based on uh, nanospheres in uh, uh, encapsulated uh, Doxil, uh, and that is a form of nanotechnology. Uh, but the kind of nanoparticles being explored here are totally novel and much better uh, in the preclinical uh, realm to deliver the drugs and do some of the very fancy things, as you saw uh, Sam say, about being activated by light, being uh, targeting things that are very specific to the cancer cell, whereas Doxil is just uh, going to uh, be a drug that uh, is uh, um, encapsulated in uh, these uh, liposomes that are um, not really truly specific for a cancer cell. So it is using nanotechnology to be much more targeted to the cancer cell. And in terms of uh, uh, when we bring it to patients, it will obviously be something that we will have to tread very carefully and because this is absolutely new technology. And it is something that uh, we hope that will uh, be uh, a true pharmaceutical product uh, one day. Uh, but I think we're uh, probably several years away from it being a commercially available product. What I hear you saying is it has to go through the regular process of clinical trials. So why myeloma? What makes myeloma an attractive target? I think that, as I say, the technology is actually disease agnostic and cancer agnostic. I think the way it has come about, as Sam told you, is because we had a critical mass of researchers, people who had a research background in myeloma. They had mouse models. They had uh, uh, petri dishes full of uh, myeloma cells that they had been working with already. They had produced data uh, independent of nanotechnology researchers. And then uh, those two uh, groups met, and uh, based on what they uh, saw, the nanotechnology group had already been happening. They felt that it was a prime area because of the strength of the scientists that were already engaged in the basic science research in the realm of myeloma to then use technology that they were developing uh, to come and uh, give patients hope in myeloma. It's not often you have everything you need at one center to go after a specific disease with a full team and a 360-degree view of the disease from the research side to the clinician side with patients. You have to realize a lot of the people in the nanotechnology world 
that are participating in the development here are by training cardiologists. Some of them are uh, uh, individuals that have a background in radiotherapy and uh, imaging. Uh, there are others that are actually uh, engineers. They work in the School of Bioengineering at Washington University. So it's a multidisciplinary approach. The synthesis of these nanoparticles is done by people who have a background in chemistry and engineering. So they were obviously uh, were already working independently on creating these materials. So it was a good synergy that came about and uh, some uh, of the other things that played a role as Sam said is the demonstration to the MCI that we do have a critical uh, mass of patients where these technology can subsequently be uh, developed and the transition could be made from the, the laboratory to the clinic. So I think that it is, uh, uh, we are very glad that it is myeloma but could it have been uh, breast cancer or lung cancer or colon cancer? Sure. Uh, the technology could be applied to any cancer, but you need to have researchers that are like-minded with a focus, uh, and that's how it came about. And I'm very happy. I'm a clinician, and I will hopefully be able to utilize this for the good of patients, uh, but I have to rely on my basic science researchers like Sam and Monica here to be able to you know, develop the uh, technology to be able to make that transition. Well, I congratulate you on the depth you have here and the coordinated effort. What you're doing is not an easy task. I think that there are very few centers that have the ability to bring together a multidisciplinary stream in any cancer type. And uh, I think that Washington University, we are fortunate that we have uh, some of the leading researchers in various fields and each is a world-renowned figure in their own uh, area and it is breaking down the barriers. It is people work in silos and you don't know that uh, a technology being developed literally in the next room could be used by you who is working on a totally different area to help uh, patients. And I think that that is the challenge of science, to often break the barriers. Often the technology exists. It is just that you don't know the person in the next room can utilize your technology and take it to the next level. So yes, I think that there are uh, quite a few centers um, that have the capability to do so. And there are other centers that are working from a multidisciplinary approach. But yes, there are probably, uh, in the United States, uh, perhaps half a dozen, definitely less than 10, that have a programmatic approach wherein you have the critical mass of basic scientists and scientists in different areas that can come together uh, to do it. Some people do the uh, clinical piece very well. Others do the basic science piece, but lack the clinical uh, trans ability to translate it to the clinic. We're fortunate that we seem to have all the uh, you know, pieces here, and we hope to be able to utilize it to uh, make it happen, to make the transition. So in today's world of myeloma treatment, we always hear about combination therapies, a stem cell transplant added to a proteasome inhibitor or an IMID, a steroid, and maybe an immunotherapy. How do you see this being incorporated, or is the hope that it replaces everything? 
Well, I think we'll have to see how it, uh, how it goes. Obviously, um, we're learning more and more about the genetics and the genomics of myeloma. We are learning that these cells have uh, not got a, hom uh, these cancers don't have a homogenous um, group of uh, mutations even within the same individual, and that at different times, uh, different groups of cancer cells with certain mutations predominate. And that has led to the um, uh, realization that uh, we need to give our drugs in combination so that you can target uh, different subsets of cells within the tumor. Um, but the fact is that uh, there is also another countervailing uh, uh, you know, paradigm that's evolving with immunotherapy where it is felt that uh, you may not have to uh, perhaps target individual cell mutations that you can uh, eliminate cancer by uh, just having the body's immune system attack the cancer. And so I think the, where this uh, battle or this uh, hopefully in the future, you know, it will be synergy, it leads to is an open question. Will we uh, need to develop drugs targeted to individual mutations, combine them, and kill away individual clones of cells within the tumor to be successful? Or could we have an approach where you can actually target the cell uh, independent of its genetic makeup? And as I said, uh, nanotechnology is a mode of delivery, and it could possibly uh, have applications in both those paradigms. You could conceivably have uh, Velkid attached to a nanoparticle and Revlimid attached to a nanoparticle that would be much better, less toxic, and be more uh, able to kill the cancer cell uh, better. Uh, on the other hand, you can have uh, perhaps the uh, nanotechnology uh, used to deliver uh, a molecule that will kill uh, the cell based on either an immune approach or a cell surface molecule that uh, is present on all those cells irrespective of its genetic makeup. I think I'm beginning to understand that this is a drug delivery method, not another type of drug or treatment in and of itself. It is a drug delivery method. It is, uh, it's not only just a drug delivery method. Nanotechnology is, uh, is useful in a lot of areas of, as I said, industry. It has so many wide applications just outside of medicine. It, uh, it is used outside of medicine even. These are just using very small molecules, as Sam was saying, 1,000 times smaller than the breadth of a hair to then uh, have a structure that can accommodate drug molecules for delivery in a very concentrated manner. You could even use it to deliver melphalan or something like that. Very true. You could, you could uh, possibly attach melphalan to a nanoparticle for making it much more efficient and less toxic. Mm -hmm. But we also hope that we'll not only use this technology to uh, deliver drugs that are uh, out there and people are already uh, working with preclinically, but also to deliver uh, drugs that are synthesized and are formulated here, which would take uh, it to the next level. You have the delivery method and you have the novel molecule, mm -hmm. like what um, uh, Sam was talking about, the light-activated uh, system. That is something that uh, you know is being explored uh, here 
it is something that has been developed here. So you have a nanoparticle uh, uh, developed here, delivering a drug method uh, or a postulated uh, new method, uh, method of killing cancer cells developed here being combined. Mm -hmm. Dr. Vidge, thank you for giving us a myeloma's perspective. One thing both you and Dr. Achilefu talked about is using imaging like PET-CT, a PET-CT type of technology to actually deliver targeted drugs. Dr. Shokin, you're an expert in imaging. How did you get involved in this and in nanotechnology? So uh, I have a PhD in chemistry and I've been trained as a chemist from Washington University in St. Louis itself and then I had uh, a wonderful opportunity to do my postdoctoral work here at the medical school, uh, interestingly uh, under the program of excellence in nanotechnology. So uh, during my early years of postdoctoral work, uh, I was exposed to uh, uh, nanotechnology and nanomedicine in particular. And, um, and that's where I developed interest in uh, developing nanoparticle-based imaging agents. So I found my passion into designing radiopharmaceuticals for uh, cancer research and cardiovascular research. So the chemist, we, uh, we could go to the drawing board and uh, uh, think of uh, molecules that could target cancer cells more specifically and uh, use as an imaging agent. So. Uh, about uh, molecular imaging uh, in the preclinical models and clinical uh, imaging, uh, it, it has the advantage of giving a whole body picture in real time. Okay, so we, we know the uh, person has a disease through um, blood tests, a urine test, but uh, molecular imaging and imaging in general gives us the power to see where the disease is located. Uh, is it spread, how, how widely it is spread, and which uh, lesions are more active and which lesions are uh, less active and benign and could be left untreated. Uh, and so, so I started working with uh, nanoparticles in terms of designs of drug delivery. And initially I started working with breast cancer uh, targeted nanoparticles and I, I worked with my collaborator, uh, Catherine Weilbacher, who is uh, a, a world-renowned breast cancer uh, uh, clinician here at Washington University. And so we looked at targeting breast cancer and then uh, I had the opportunity to work with the myeloma group here at Washington University with uh, Michael Thomason, uh, uh, Ravi Vidge, and John DiPergio. And uh, what intrigued me at that time as I was starting my own independent research group was that at that time in 2012, there were no targeted molecular imaging agents for multiple myeloma or leukemias in general. So most patients are familiar with the PET scan where they have this glucose radioactive material and the glucose goes to the active myeloma cells and that's what shows up on their scan. FDG PET has been the workhorse, the gold standard for oncologic imaging and to a very good value. So it, it has served the patient community and continues to do that in terms of uh, detecting disease and then monitoring therapeutic response. Um, but FDG is looking at one aspect of the uh, cancer proliferation. It, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, um, so cancer cells love glucose to uh, survive and proliferate, and that's where FDG comes in. 
Um, however, I was interested in looking at uh, how about the lesions in the bone marrow that do not express uh, this receptor, the, the GLUT1 transporter, which is needed for the FTG uptake. So can we have something more specific for myeloma cells? Can we learn more about the uh, biology of this, uh, maybe the resident phenotypes, uh, drug-resistant re uh, phenotypes of myeloma? So. With that motivation, I started designing radiopharmaceuticals for the targeted imaging of myeloma, initially in preclinical animal models. I was fortunate at early on, right after I joined uh, uh, the optical radiology lab uh, under the mentorship of uh, Professor Samachilifu, uh, I was awarded uh, an R01 grant by NCI to uh, uh, to uh, develop receptor-targeted uh, imaging agents for multiple myeloma, because even NCI saw the need that in their portfolio of imaging agents, what was missing was a good imaging agent for multiple myeloma. The challenge there was, well, the diseases in the blood, in leukemias, how do you see a focal points? But myeloma uh, is one of the characteristics of myeloma is that you have multiple focal lesions within the bones. So there's bone imaging, and then there can be the functional imaging to look at the proliferating cells, and can we target those cells and help in the diagnosis of, um, in the early diagnosis and more efficient diagnosis of myeloma patients um, there is a subset of myeloma population where, uh, uh, which are oligosecretory. So those uh, myelomas are missed by uh, the uh, traditional tests of urine tests or blood tests. Uh, uh, and uh, Ravi Vijal was used to tell me that's the population which really needs imaging because we cannot see it by our routine tests, and uh, that's uh, a false negative. And so imaging can be part of that. And these are patients who have essentially lost the M spike, right? So they're called non-secretors, or they're no longer making the M protein. So it's tough to test their blood or urine, and you really have to do a biopsy, which everybody wants to avoid. What you're saying is you can use imaging instead. Then looking at the resistant uh, cells, uh, a following therapy does something. FDG sometimes can have uh, um, a, a higher background uptake in the uh, bone marrow. So, uh, so we want to. Uh, so I started working on the agents that can be more specific, bring in more specificity, while retaining. Uh, the sensitivity of PET, which is a positron emission tomography used in oncologic imaging, uh, which gives us uh, um, a high signal to noise, and it's it it does it is it does not have to deal with the barriers of light because it can be easily detected. These are high energy gamma rays that can be detected by the camera around the patient. So. Um, so with my grant and now my group is actively working at uh, looking at different molecular imaging uh, modalities to more effectively uh, diagnose, image, and monitor multiple myeloma. And uh, I've been very fortunate to be part of the Center for Multiple Myeloma Nanotherapy because here uh, I'm working with the different projects to monitor the therapeutic response uh, more effectively in addition to the SBEP or the free lactin assay, uh, um, can we look at uh, which cells escaped the therapy? Can we identify those and then target those? And 
uh, uh, as Sam explained, that we need a good source of light. FDG is a fantastic source of light of getting to most of uh, the cells, but can we have something uh, a different, uh, in addition to FDG, uh, a more receptor targeted? In my case, I'm looking at VLF4. And what is F2G? I think you may have to explain that. Now this is the contrast we get when we get imaging done. It's it, so basically a glucose molecule. So what a chemist uh, uh, realized early on was, well, okay, well, this is uh, uh, cancer cells love glucose molecules. So what we did uh, decades ago, and, and FTG was one of the very first FDA-approved imaging agents used in clinic was to replace one uh, of uh, the atoms on the glucose molecule with a fluorine, a radioactive fluorine atom. So uh, in uh, what radioactive fluorine, it's a PET radionuclide. Uh, so radioactive fluorine gives out uh, positrons. Uh, uh, so, so, so it's a positron uh, radionuclide. So what it does is that we have changed a regular non-radioactive glucose molecule into a radioactive uh, glucose molecule, which is now, so, it, so cancer cells take it up as they would take up glucose. They think it's the same sugar molecule, it's sugar to them. And so once it's taken up by the cancer cells, interestingly, since we have now replaced one of uh, uh, the uh, atoms in the glucose molecule with the fluorine, they don't know how to use it up. It's pretty much trapped in the cancer cell. So the more they take it up, it's just trapped, and then you get a more higher signal to noise. It's a light bulb, which is getting brighter and brighter as it's taken up because of the radioactive fluorine uh, 18, which is uh, now part of this molecule. And here at Washington University, we have a world-class cyclotron facility, so we are leaders in making FDG, a clinical-grade FDG, which we give to patients all the time. Well, uh, well no, these are two different things. So uh, in MRI also, the contrast you get is a gadolinium contrast. So MRI is uh, definitely one of uh, the star imaging agents, uh, imaging uh, platform for multiple myeloma patients because uh, of its very high resolution and spe uh, specifically giving the soft tissue contrast in the bone marrow. So um, for looking at bone marrow imaging, uh, uh, MR, uh, gadolinium enhanced uh, MR. So that's the contrast that you get. However, that is not specific. It's basically looking, uh, it, it, so it, it's, it, it's useful for giving, uh, looking at the different anatomical parts uh, of the uh, cortical bone, trabecular bone, pelvic bone, and also looking at the bone marrow. Well, okay, well, so when there are tumor cells, uh, uh, the way uh, water diffuses in and out, there's they, a the differential, so you're essentially measuring that change of water diffusion. Uh, so MR, uh, magnetic resonance imaging, is basically looking at uh, water molecules, which we have plentiful in us, and so we try to create a contrast by uh, giving gadolinium. So that's uh, one uh, uh, imaging platform. PET is a considered more functional platform, where we are looking 
So MR gives a great anatomical uh, uh, contrast, and also we are getting uh, picking up uh, a lot of more uh, functional biomarkers uh, based on MR. PET is very sensitive, and so the cool thing uh, now is that now uh, we we have uh, more combined systems a PET MR. So usually, if a patient goes gets a PET CT, so CT scan gives a very nice snapshot of the bone. Okay, so it helps you localize uh, a PET signal. It gives it a location that, okay, so this is close to, you know, the arm, upper arm, or leg, and so you have a very nice uh, co-registration. But with, uh, now we are doing it here at Washington University. We, are, uh, we, we have, um, I, I think we were the third one in the whole U.S. to get a clinical PET-MR scanner, and we are uh, uh, screening a lot of myeloma patients are using that, so where we are using the power of uh, MRI and the PET, but all together. That's fantastic to get them both done at the same time, very efficient. Otherwise, you would have to independent right. scan. So for right. MR, you'll have one, and you'll be given a gadolinium contrast, right. and then pet, for PET, you'll be given an FDG PET. So that's a different contrast. They have different half-lives, and uh, you cannot... So it, your pet is more high energy. It's called, uh, it, it, um, it, it uses ionizing radiation, but it's given in, the contrast is, is given in such low doses that it does not cause any harm. So it basically, you know, it's, it's called non-invasive imaging in the sense that it's an innocent bystander taking a picture of the tumor but not really interfering with the tumor, and that's what we want. So now you're trying to apply those lessons you've learned about imaging to nanotechnology. Rather than shooting in the dark, we are giving the clinicians a real-time snapshot of where the lesions are located, okay? And then some lesions would respond, and then you could see by, you know, FDG pad or any other more targeted contrast agent. So, uh, and, and then you can uh, uh, hopefully... Uh, manage the disease more effectively and um, uh, identify the responders from the non-responders at an early stage rather than waiting several weeks or months before uh, we realized, oh, uh, a therapeutic change should have taken place much earlier to help the patient. So basically helping with the management in addition to early diagnosis. And also, as part of the center, so the, the center is looking at effective ways of um, treating multiple myeloma cells. Uh, and part of the center is also um, using nanoparticles. So, it, like Sam and Ravi mentioned, so, so nanoparticles are multifunctional molecules. So, we can attach different drugs, we can encapsulate different uh, drugs in, into the core of the nanoparticle, and then have more targeting agents around it. And, and those targeting agents could uh, target, like you mentioned, uh, CS1, VLF4, or uh, CD38 uh, on its surface so that they can chaperone these uh, nanoparticles to uh, where the uh, tumor cells are and have it retained there. And then we can attach imaging agents to these nanoparticles. So in addition, uh, to uh, delivering therapy and using uh, light also as part of the therapy, we can image uh, as uh, 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 our how well our therapy is working. If it's reaching the target, 
So it, it's one of, uh, so it's pretty much have uh, giving it a flashlight to our uh, therapy. And you're saying, how well is this working? Exactly. Is it going to one uh, to uh, the tumor cells and two, uh, did we uh, make an impact? It was there a reduction in the lesion in the bone or outside of the bone? Where do you see this new technology headed? I believe nanoparticles and nanomedicine in general is, uh, has evolved a great way. I was involved with uh, nanomedicine almost a decade ago, and I have seen over the years uh, the progress researchers across the world has made. So the technology is ready for the next step, where it can be. Uh, it's ready to be uh, uh, helping the patients. Uh, it's uh, now it's more biocompatible. It's more bioavailable uh, in vivo. So that's one of the big delivery, uh, effective delivery, effective targeting, and uh, I believe it's going to impact the disease and hopefully help uh, eradicate uh, or manage uh, multiple myeloma more effectively. Yes, as a chemist uh, um, and um, as a scientist, I believe in this technology. Dr. Achilefu. Dr. Vidge and Dr. Shokin, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us so we can learn about this groundbreaking new approach to treating myeloma. I congratulate you again for your creation and funding by the NIH of this exceptionally innovative program that we hope will help cure this disease. We know we'll be hearing much more about your project in the future and we look forward to your updates. So thank you for listening to another episode of Myeloma Crowd Radio. Join us for future shows to learn more about the latest in myeloma research and what it means for you. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.